As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it's time for the return of The Big Thing. Each week, except for the last month, we dedicate the Friday show to discussing a big story that we haven't yet covered in depth. And this week, it's Cristiano Ronaldo's move to Saudi Arabia, as well as a broader look at how and why Saudi Arabia is spending so much money on soccer. Here with me to do so are two wonderful fellas. Up first is a man who deserves to be paid $250 million per season. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. You know what, Taylor? It's an honor. I appreciate you recognize. No, I, I can't even fathom how much money this is. I, I was thinking about how much money this is in practical terms, and we can talk about more of the details of Ronaldo's contract later. But uh, I can't. It just doesn't compute for me. I don't. It, it doesn't add up. I can't. It doesn't work. T- Taylor, you have the authority to pay Joel £250 million pounds a season. That is up to you whether you want to do that or not. Yeah, I, I debated whether or not this was the way to begin this show. I'm going to move us swiftly along. Graham, you're to in as my agent. That, Graham, you're in as my agent. Great work. Yes. That, that voice you just heard uh, is a man who I hope when we do his official TSS unveiling looks as hopefully happier than Cristiano Ronaldo looked. It's Graham Rutherford. Hi, mm, Graham. I wouldn't count on that. Happiness isn't really my brand. It's certainly, certainly outwardly happiness. And there wasn't much of that from Cristiano Ronaldo at his unveiling, as you reference as a, an Al Nassar player this week. Well, imagine, we Graham, imagine how disappointed you would be if you thought you were going to South Africa and you ended up in Saudi Arabia instead. <laughs> That's true. Uh, That's true. I'd rather go to South Africa than Saudi Arabia. Ryan Bailey is not with us. He did not uh, take a detour uh, mistakenly to South Africa. He is, in fact, uh, suspended from this episode because he broke that fan's phone like a month ago. Uh, He hasn't yet served (laughs) that suspension, so he's doing so now. I don't know if that story is true. Maybe we'll talk about that later on. But for now, Graham, why are we talking about Cristiano Ronaldo uh, and his move to Saudi Arabia? Yeah, so this story matters because it's it's one of the players of his generation and Cristiano mm-hmm. Ronaldo. I know he is on this on the decline now as as a as a player, but nonetheless he has Don't tell been him a that. dominant Don't force. Tell him that. Yeah, not not in his mind, he's not. But in everyone else's mind, he is on the decline now. Uh, but he's been one of the best players in the world for the last fifteen years, and he is he's moved to somewhere unexpected, and so. 
We will examine why he's made that move and all the factors are around it. This is all wrapped in, up in uh, geopolitics and sports washing. And so that's mm. how we're going to get 45 minutes out of this because uh, I don't think our knowledge of Al Nassar and the Saudi Arabian Professional League is all that deep. Maybe we'll shine a little Speak bit of a light yourself, on that right? as well. So yeah, Joe's been Joe's just been <laughs> absorbing Saudi Pro League games for the last 48 hours. It's such a weird, we'll talk about this later, it is such a weird mixture of players that are in Saudi Arabia. It was a, a reminder for me as I scrolled through Transfer Market of, oh yeah, I remember when that guy moved there. Oh yeah, I remember when that yeah, guy moved there. Same. And they're all just there. It, it, it blows my mind. Anyway, we can talk about that stuff later on in the show. Is, is Buffett and B. Gomez still there? Uh, I didn't see I his name, remember. but maybe. Oh, don't rule it out. Obvious. That, the, Lions, the Puma celebration or the Lions celebration, I forget which it was. It, it, it's a goat celebration. Uh, before we get into the details of Ronaldo's contract, Graham, uh, do you get a sense for how this move came about? Because to my mind, it was a thing that was rumored, I think even a little bit before the World mm-hmm. Cup, but, but certainly during the World Cup, uh, but more of a, it's not going to happen, other suitors will come along, yeah. and then no other suitors came along, and now here we are. So the initial reports date all the way back to last summer. This was apparently on the table for Ronaldo in the summer transfer window when he was doing his best to manufacture a transfer out of, of Manchester United. At that point, it seemed like United were willing to let him leave, but they weren't willing to cancel his contract and go through that whole process. So they were waiting for an offer. The only offer they received was from Saudi Arabia. Ronaldo at that point didn't want to go to Saudi Arabia. And then, of course, we had the drama of his final few months at Manchester United, where he was unhappy with being a bit part player. Ten Hag clearly didn't think that Ronaldo could give him what he needs from a number nine in his system. Ronaldo gave a very well-judged interview with Piers Morgan, where he burned his entire Manchester United career and legacy to the ground. And so that prompted Manchester United to release him just before the start of the World Cup. And I guess you could argue that Ronaldo got what he wanted out of out of that whole episode because that allowed him to sign for another club. At that point, it seemed like he expected there would be offers from Europe and elsewhere. It seems like there wasn't. And so Saudi Arabia's offer, which was standing for about six months, was really the only feasible offer at that time. And he has signed for Al Nassar in the Saudi Pro League for the next two and a half years as a player longer as an ambassador for Saudi Arabia, but we will talk about all that good stuff later on. Uh, first, I should apologize. I had myself muted there. I laughed very hard at uh, Graham's point that he burned his reputation to the ground because he really did. Uh, he he ha- went from having his name sung uh, with glee to I heard it sung this weekend, the Ronaldo song by Man United fans, and I looked it up. I don't think the words are the same. I think the words have been changed a little bit. I don't think they're quite as glowing. I think they're a bit more insulting these days. Uh, yeah, so that legacy may be uh, in tatters, but I, I, I'm guessing, Joe, that Ronaldo has the money that if he needed to, he could probably hire someone to sew those theoretical tatters back together. He very much could. I mean, he had that money before signing this deal with Al Nassar. True, But, I mean, he, he bought George Mendes an island. Now. He yeah. bought George Mendes an island. Never forget to that. exile him on now show. because those two have... have <laughs> Ronaldo's yep. ditched George, George Mendes yep, as yep, his yep, agent yep. because he couldn't find him a Champions League level club. He's oh, not a magician. Boo-hoo. Boo-hoo Mendes. <laughs> I struggle to, to find any sympathy in that situation. All right, two and a half year contract, <laughs> Taylor. He'll be 40 when the contract ends. Multiple mm-hmm. outlets saying that Ronaldo's salary with Al Nassar is around $200 million a year, which includes commercial agreements and salary. But, I mean, it is, it's basically those things are combined to be what Ronaldo's going to make. So that would be, according to Fabrizio Romano and, and many others, the biggest salary in soccer history. Let me break it down, like I teased earlier. So $200 million per year, $16.6 million per month, per day, 
$22,000-ish per hour, $380 per minute, and $6.34 a second. That is an astronomical amount of money. That amount of money is absurd. It is, like I said, the biggest contract in the history of soccer. Comparing it to other American sports contracts, so this is, this is what I found interesting because this is better context for me. Uh, in the NBA, Nikola Jokic, who plays for the Denver Nuggets, signed the biggest contract ever in terms of total value and annual value. That's five years and $270 million, which comes out to $54 million a year. It's like a quarter of what Ronaldo's making a year. That was over the summer. In the NFL, Patrick Mahomes, who could have been his sporting Kansas City co-owner, but it all fell apart. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes signed a $450 million, <laughs> yeah, right? $450 million deal for 10 years, which comes out to $45 million a year, less than a quarter of what Ronaldo's making in Saudi Arabia. And then Mike Trout in, in Major League Baseball with the Angels, $426.5 million over 12 years, which comes out to a paltry $35.5 million a year which doesn't get you $6.34 a second. Let me tell you that much. I mean, those, those guys are struggling. So it is an absurd amount of money. Saudi Arabia has an absurd amount of money. This is not just for what Ronaldo gets on the on the field. It's what it does for Saudi Arabia. There are ties with the ownership of Ronaldo's new club back to the, the kingdom, the literal kingdom of Saudi Arabia. It's a lot of money to get a guy they desperately wanted to do a job that they desperately want him to do. Yeah, and and just to provide some soccer context as well, a, a couple contracts that I found that are the closest to Ronaldo. Lionel Messi is paid apparently sixty-two million pounds a year by PSG, and um, the tran- the conversion to pounds for that with Ronaldo is one hundred seventy-three million pounds a year from Al Nassr. Neymar gets fifty-eight million pounds a year from from PSG. So. The the TLDR is that nobody comes close to what Ronaldo will, will earn from his contract. That doesn't necessarily mean he's the highest paid athlete in history because there's grey areas like Roger yeah. Federer owning a large chunk of, I don't know if anyone has seen on running shoes. They've become quite popular the last few years. So things like that, dividends he gets, I believe he's a billionaire now. Ronaldo's not quite a billionaire. But in terms of a sporting contract, Ronaldo is way out in front, uh, not just in soccer, but in general sports as far as I could see. So I think we're, we'll have to then have that conversation about why they're, they're spending that much money on a player who will be 40 at the end of his contract. Because sometimes it is like this guy, we just got to splash the money to keep him. We need this player to be here. He's going to be our franchise player for the next 10, 15 years, whatever it is. That's not necessarily going to be the case, but it's also not not going to be the case with Ronaldo. But Graham, l- let's look instead at why Ronaldo has gone here in the first place. Why has he ended up at Al Nasir? Uh, mm-hmm. Because we talked about it a little bit that maybe there weren't as many suitors do you feel like he could have stayed in Europe could he have found a club if he really wanted to um so first of all money is attractive and I've heard that people like money mm. so that's one mm. of the reasons that he's mm. gone to to Al Nassar in terms of what his options were I I do believe this was his only feasible option at least and this is where the distinction I'll make the distinction at least it was the only feasible option he had with the parameters that he set for himself I, I've said this before on on the show but had Ronaldo accepted his role at Manchester United and accepted his age and the stage of his career he's at, which, by the way, according to the reporting, was exactly the advice that George Mendes gave him before Ronaldo decided to, to ditch him as his agent. If he'd done that, then I think pretty much every elite level club in Europe, with the exception of maybe a Klopp or a Guardiola, would, would have wanted him. He would have been on much lower wages. He would have been an impact sub. But he still would have been generally at Champions League level. I know he's not as sharp in front of goal as he used to be, but he can still score goals at that level. He scored a goal at the, at the World Cup, or, or maybe two goals at the World Cup, I can't quite remember. 
But Ronaldo wasn't willing to make those concessions. So those offers weren't there. And he backed himself into a corner where Saudi Arabia and Sporting KC, apparently and bizarrely, were the only places that he could go. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think, yes, it was pretty much his only option, but that's his own fault. It wasn't necessarily that there wasn't interest in a player like Cristiano Ronaldo. It was that he set those parameters for himself. And I'll, I'll add one, yeah, one beat on that as well. I, Ronaldo said this. This is a quote from Ronaldo. He said, nobody knows this, but I had many opportunities in Europe, Brazil, Australia, America, Portugal. Many clubs tried to sign me. I gave my word to this club, referring to his new team in Saudi Arabia. He said, I, w- I want to give a different vision of this country in football. This is why I took this opportunity. Setting the second half of that quote aside, which I think is the far more interesting half, but for the conversation we're having right now, you know, Ronaldo is saying he had offers. I believe that. I'm sure he had opportunities all over the world to go sign. But Graham, to your point, the parameters being, you know, if he stays in Europe, it's going to be playing Champions League, right? That's the reputation. That's the expectation. And it didn't seem like there were any Champions League clubs that were going to really be able to make that work or that Ronaldo was going to be satisfied with. Nobody really wanted him in the summer, so doubtful that kind of changed in the January window. Mm-hmm. Not PSG, not City, not a team back in Portugal, which I thought, you know, when we were first hearing about some of the fallout at Man United, I thought maybe sporting would make sense. You've been there before, all that stuff. That doesn't end up happening. So, yes, he, he probably could have contributed in some ways. He still was a valuable attacking player, but you have to pay the price for what he doesn't do, which is defend, which is contribute in any sort of defensive shape, which is not really move a lot in the attack. He can score goals. He scored 18 goals for Man United last year in the Premier League. That's that's good, right? Scoring goals is is the hardest thing to do in soccer. I firmly believe that, but you have to pay the price. And I don't think teams wanted to pay the price in two ways. One, of having to deal with Ronaldo off the field and one of having to accommodate him on the field. So yeah, maybe he could have stayed in Europe, but not to do the thing he wanted to do. Yep. And I think what he wanted to do is remain high profile, remain at the kind of status, the stature he has been that he's at. And looking at the clubs that he's played for, it's Sporting Club de Portugal, where he comes through, then it's Manchester United, then it's Real Madrid, then it's Juventus, then it's back to Man United. It's huge clubs with huge history where he has done momentous things. And I I mocked that statement. I was laughing at that statement of like, everybody wanted me, but I chose to come here. And I think, Joe, your nuance is appreciated because I, th- I think you're correct. I think there were clubs that did want him. I I really do. And I think there may even have been Champions League clubs that wanted him. But I think when you have the sort of pedigree he has, and to be honest, I think the arrogance he has, I think the standard of Champions League clubs that were maybe in for him would be where there was a stumbling block. Because I long argued that Turkey made a ton of sense for Ronaldo, that he would be worshipped there. But if you're playing for Fenerbahce, Galatasaray, Besiktas, the three big teams... Decent chance that with you in there, they're going to win the league and you're going to be in the Champions League. But that is a very obvious step down. You are playing at, at, a, at a tier down. You're playing for a team that now hopes to qualify for the Champions League and maybe possibly theoretically gets out of the group. But when's the last time a Turkish club made it out of the group? And maybe that was the case for a Greek team who could have come in for him. I think there were probably some suitors in there, but it's an obvious step down for him from where he has been. It's it's easier to draw a comparison from Manchester United, Real Madrid and Juventus to yeah. a club like Galatasaray, whereas if he goes to Saudi Arabia, he spins it as, I'm so great, I'm there now going is. to change soccer in a whole country. Exactly. That is now my brief, which, you know, there may be an element of that to his move to Al Nassar. I just don't, I don't think that's the primary motivation, but it's very easy for him to spin it as that. That would be 
where I am on that one. Uh, Let's take a quick break. Let's get back to talk about the Saudi League itself. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to the big thing here on the Total Soccer Show. We're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo's move to Al Nasser. Uh, one of the things I will do after he has made this move is learn how to pronounce that club properly because I'm never sure I'm quite getting it right. Uh, Joe, let's talk about the the uh, state of Saudi soccer. We watched the national team beat Argentina, so they are unofficial world champions. We know that now. Uh, but how is the Saudi league? Uh, what should we be expecting when we all tune in to watch every single Ronaldo game? Because we're all definitely going to do that. Yeah, and the and the U.S. drew with Saudi Arabia before the World Cup, so co-current World Cup champions seems that hey, way to me. Doesn't right. it? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Okay, cool. So <laughs> Saudi Pro League, power. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The Saudi Pro League is the the top division in Saudi Arabia. Had their first season back in 1976 with eight teams. Became fully professional about 15 years ago. So they have 16 teams right now. They play everybody plays everybody twice. 30 games total. It works out very nice and neat. Very straightforward to understand. The the pro League um, is is the top, like I said, and then the Saudi First Division is the the one underneath. They have pro rel between those two. The bottom three go down, the top three go up. All of that normal stuff. Now the level of the Saudi League is is not high, right? Despite there being a lot of names that people will likely know, it's not among the best leagues in the world. It's not among that second or even third tiers underneath the best leagues in the world, which we think of as being you know the top five in Europe. Really, it's it's at this point kind of the the top three or four, and then France and all that stuff. But anyway, globalfootballrankings.com lists the top 33 leagues in the world based on data from 538, uh, which which obviously they, they do a bunch of data stuff and predictions and, and odds and all that stuff. And the Saudi Pro League is not on that list. So by their calculations, they are Saudi Arabia Pro League is not in the top 30-odd leagues in the world. There are some good players. I'm going to run through a few of them. This is, this is the fun bit. Notable players... Uh, Mateus Pereira, who played for West Brom and Sporting before signing with Al Halal in 2021. Gregor Krakowiak, who's played for Poland for a very long time. Vincent Abubakar, who was at the World Cup with Cameroon. He plays for Al Nassar. Sco- <laughs> a little scoop finish there from him. Mr. Scoop himself. David, David Ospina, who is Al Nassar's goalkeeper. P.T. Martinez, former Atlanta United bust, really went to go wow. play in Saudi Arabia. Plays wow. for Al Nassar. Former MLSers Kaku, who leads the league in assists. He's also the one who punted the ball right at a fan in Major League Soccer. Uh, he leads the league in assists. And Alvaro <laughs> Madron, who was former La Liga player, then came, or at least played in Spain. I think he played in La Liga as well. Then came to play for the Chicago Fire, and now is in Saudi Arabia. And the last one is Taliska, who is the current leading goal scorer, who's been on a nice little tour de money for years now. He was a Brazilian winger, was at Benfica, then goes to China, and now is in Saudi Arabia. So he has secured the bag, almost certainly, Taliska. <laughs> he is, like I said, the leading goal scorer. 
Al Nassar are the top team in the league right now. They have some league titles in the past. They have 26 points from 11 games. So that's the context. I think really the players I mentioned are the highest profile. And when you look at things like goals and assists, a lot of them are are leading those mm. rankings. I mean, there's there's a bunch of others on this list as well, but those are some Can of I just the name two others. So Taylor, yeah, Odin Agallo yep. is in the, in the Saudi Pro League. So maybe he's heading back to Manchester United given United's <laughs> need for... Maybe that could have been a swap deal, an Agallo-Ronaldo swap deal. And then the other one... Which, I'll go ahead and do... Uh, I'll speak for everybody when I say uh, hard pass. Thank you. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he did a job. Not necessarily a good one. A job. But a job. There we go. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one, which actually I would say is maybe the most impressive name in that whole league is, is Santi Mina. Joe, did you, did you mention him? I did I'd not, forgotten no. that I'd forgotten that he had gone to Saudi Arabia. He was billed as one of Valencia's best young players. He was going to go to Barcelona. He was going to go to the Premier League. And then he took a big offer from the Saudi Pro League. He plays for Al-Shabaab in the Saudi Pro League, which I had completely forgotten about. And this is a league full of players you had no idea where they'd gone. And Rudy Garcia is is Cristiano Ronaldo's manager. (laughs) I could not have told you where Rudy Garcia was at the the moment. So it's, it's a strange, strange league. And just a quick beat on on my kind of my my uh, main observation on this league and Ronaldo's move there, it sort of goes against the grain of the purpose of that division in my eyes. So it's a very homegrown league. You look at the the Saudi Arabian team that went to the the World Cup last year, and every player in that squad played in that domestic league. So the league is traditionally there to serve the national team. I think you're only allowed seven or eight foreign players per team. And it does that very well, as proven, as I say, by that Saudi team that certainly didn't embarrass itself at the World Cup. But now you have Ronaldo rocking up, and that's certainly not a signing designed to help the national team. So is this a shift in the in purpose and strategy? Is the well, plan now to become one of the strongest leagues in the world? That's kind of one of the most interesting things about this, is it feels like there is a shift in in what the Saudi Pro League wants to do. They've 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 dipped their toe into the foreign market with some of those names that Joe mentioned there. But they've not fully let, leaned into that. Is this the start of something else from them? I don't know. It's kind of a rhetorical question. I mean, it doesn't have to be a rhetorical question because I think it's worth looking at why they've wanted to do this. Why bring in Cristiano yeah. Ronaldo at the age he's at uh, with with the money that they're going to have to spend and. I think there is a little bit of me that now we've gone through some of those names. It is like, okay, like that's a curiosity league. Like that could be an interesting thing just to see how they're doing. But that's kind of the same thing we said about like the Chinese Super League when they were spending all the money and bringing in players. And I never watched a single Chinese Super League game. So I in did. that way, it, it <laughs> begs the shame. question, like, <laughs> why, why why, do this? Do either of you have thoughts on why yeah. they've wanted to bring in Cristiano Ronaldo, aside from the fact that then everybody knows that Cristiano Ronaldo is playing in South Africa, excuse me, Saudi Arabia? Yeah, nice. Good one. It's, I mean, it is not. It is absolutely not for the sporting side. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Ronaldo is going to score a boatload of goals in Saudi Arabia. I would be surprised if... It, it honestly wouldn't shock me if he's the leading goal scorer this season, having you know yeah. half a season behind, right? I, I will not be surprised if he is leading the team, leading the league in goals for the next two seasons after this one. So he will do well on the field for Al Nassar. He will do well in the league, but Al Nassar could have gone out and found a striker just as good as Ronaldo for what 180 million less, 150 million less. <laughs> I mean, right? It, it, it's bogus to think about this Ronaldo move for Al Nassar being about the on-field product. They could have gone out and signed so many different players who could give you essentially what Ronaldo gives you on the field and, and done it for cheap. This, or at least cheaper, right? 
This is all about building a brand and a reputation for Saudi Arabian soccer. That is what this is about. And as a, a larger context for Saudi Arabia in general, as a nation, major Saudi clubs are ultimately owned by the state, right? So this ties back, as I said earlier, to the kingdom. There will be a bump on the field for al Nassar. There will be a bump in attendance. They averaged 8,000 people at Marshall Park last year, which seats about 25,000, I believe. I am sure they will have more people in those stands this year. Some things I read speculated that they're not sure if that's going to automatically lead to sellouts, if Ronaldo is enough to pack that stadium in Saudi Arabia, which I think is fascinating. But but it, that even doesn't really matter as far as I'm concerned. It's not about the field. It's not about the stadium. It's about sports washing. I think that's the first time we've said it on the show, but we've been building to this moment. This is about changing the outside world's perception of a country with a troubling human rights record by dangling a shiny object in front of people. In, in this case, Ronaldo is literally shiny. His skin is often literally shiny. You know, that's that's what this Listening. is about. This is this is about changing how people view Saudi Arabia, getting people excited about it. This is a lot of the same conversations we had about the World Cup in Qatar, just instead of the World Cup coming to Saudi Arabia, which it might yet in 2030, and we'll talk about that. It's about a player going and, and yep. a player with Ronaldo's status and all of the, the clout and followers that he has that can go a long way for getting people to all of a sudden, hey, let's let's take a vacation to Saudi Arabia. Hey, this isn't so bad. And then people start to forget about <sighs> the things that, yeah. that Saudi Arabia would very much like them to forget about. They're, they're not paying $200 million a season for Ronaldo, the soccer player. They're paying no. for Ronaldo, the celebrity. They're paying for, and this may seem trivial, but they're paying for his Instagram account for him to post pictures of Saudi Arabia. And they've, they've also got Lionel Messi as, as an ambassador for either the Saudi yeah. Arabian tourist board mm-hmm. or for their 2030 world cup bid. And I'm sure we'll talk about that world cup, bid a little bit more, but th- this is a, this is a, re- a regime that has got a lot of sports washing to do. This is a regime that killed Jamal Khashoggi, a, re- a regime that has a major role in bombing Yemen, a regime that allegedly abuses and imprisons human rights activists and actively pursues dissidents. Mm-hmm. And all this stuff has an impact on Saudi Arabia's standing on the global stage, and they want to use sports to wash a lot of that away in the same way that Qatar used the World Cup to do that, in the same way that Abu Dhabi and Dubai and the UAE have used Manchester City and various other sporting events to do that. Saudi Arabia has actually sat back and watched other countries around them in the Gulf do more sports washing and enjoy success in that regard. They haven't actually been that active in in the grand scheme of things until the last few years. And now you're starting to see them really ramp things up. And Ronaldo is a, a, a key part of that whole strategy. Do you think it's hurt at all, that that objective, which I agree with. I think you both have summarized it well. Do you think that plan is hurt by the fact that we're talking about it from the context of no one seemed to really want him in his present form, and so he ended up in Saudi Arabia? It's not quite... Like the thing I had hoped for with the Messi to Miami rumor uh, is that like that deal would have been agreed to with Messi sort of maybe not like loving life in in Paris. And then before that World Cup, I I think I I had it in my mind similar to like Beckham when he agrees to go to MLS. It's at a down point in his Madrid career. And then after the agreement is struck, he comes back into the team. He helps them win the title. And there's like an attempt to get out of that deal because Madrid want to keep him. And so now you've got David Beckham, who's in demand and Madrid are like desperately trying to keep him. And then he goes to the galaxy. And if Miami had pulled off the Messi deal, it's Messi, who's now a world champion coming to Major League Soccer. And 
in contrast with Ronaldo, it's Ronaldo who like publicly had a falling out with the club where he really at, at the very least became a global icon. Um, and you don't have a ton of suitors for him. And so it feels less like if, if they are trying to pull in other players and make yeah. it more of a destination league, I, I think some of the way this has gone down hurts that plan from the jump. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Taylor. I think that's an interesting point. I think for people like us and maybe even everyone who's listening to this show right now, that might matter. I would guess for the average sort of social media soccer fan who's paying attention yeah. a little bit to where things are going on. Yeah. I think Ronaldo could have lit Manchester United on fire and they probably would not have cared one that bit about that. might have been more popular to some They're, people, to be I fair. I mean, the average, the average <laughs> sports fan who doesn't really, who, who probably watched you know, Manchester United with Ronaldo on the field once, maybe, maybe not at all, likely is seeing this headline. Like, I'm sure I have friends, I'm sure we all have friends who've seen this headline and thought, wow, Ronaldo's going to Saudi Arabia. That's interesting, which is why we're doing this show. You know, not really understanding why that's happened and not knowing or maybe even caring about the context behind it. And, and that's what Saudi Arabia is counting on. And that's also, to an extent, what Ronaldo's counting on as someone who you know, was trying to continue to build a brand as the most famous athlete on the planet, which he is. So, yes, my answer, I guess, to your question, Taylor, is yes for a small number, but no, probably for the larger number. Yeah, and and, that, and that's fair. And I think it's also, like, to, to your point about how other Gulf states, or maybe it was Graham's point about how other Gulf states yeah, have done this, like... It's Pep Guardiola goes and plays in Qatar. Xavi goes and plays in Qatar. And we don't, like, we're not surprised by that. It's like, yeah, I'm sure there's money there. It's what people have done. I think that hasn't been the case for Saudi Arabia. Certainly some players have, Joe. You, you, you listed a few there. But in, in my mind, a lot of players, uh, like, I don't think I need to be careful with how I say this, but to my mind, a lot of the players who, who would go there had a, a connection to that being religion. I, I think of like Bafatem Gomez, the aforementioned, he plays for Galatasaray again. But I'm assuming there is an appeal there because he is Muslim and you've got Mecca and Medina, like you want to play in Saudi Arabia. But I don't think that is 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 kind of the, the image necessarily that they want to go mm-hmm. for. And I think that's where this Ronaldo move makes more sense from that sort of sports yeah. sports washing angle. We, we have sort of not talked about that in full, mostly because I wanted to make sure we got a second break in. Let's take that break right now. Then let's come back and talk about much more with how Saudi Arabia are trying to change their image, sports washing, all that super, super fun stuff in just a second. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back. When last we spoke, I teased some sports washing chat. We're going to get into that now because... The thing that really had me feeling some dread was the opening ceremony of the 2022 World Cup in which Ryan Bailey pointed out 
Is that Muhammad bin Salman standing there for some reason? And it sure was at the opening ceremony of uh, this past World Cup. And I don't know if that alone sparked the rumors, but we knew that Saudi Arabia was potentially going to do a a joint bid with what, like Egypt and Greece. I don't know if that is still the plan, if they're just going to go for it themselves. I do know that there are many, many photos of MBS hanging out with Gianni Infantino. And so... It does seem like a lot of this is built towards them getting that 2030 World Cup, which would probably then be a Winter World Cup again, uh, and sort of going the way that Qatar went of building stadiums or expanding stadiums so they've got that capacity so that everybody sees the Saudi League and Saudi Arabia as a as a more modern country where they're embracing soccer, they're embracing this this like uh, global sport, and and everybody can come and be tourists and uh, enjoy the soccer's there. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the, the signing of Ronaldo is entirely tied to that World Cup bid. So just to do a quick recap of where we are with the, the bids for 2030 World Cup, as things stand, there are three confirmed bids to host that tournament. Those bids are Morocco's. Then you have the, the Centenario bids. The first World Cup took place in 1930 in, in, in Uruguay. So you have a bid involving Uruguay, but unfortunately the World Cup is so large now that they can't host it on their own. So you have a joint bid between Uruguay, Argentina, Paraguay and Chile. And then you have another joint bid between Spain, Portugal and Ukraine. Of course, sure. And there will be a, a Saudi bid as well. As you referenced there, Taylor, there's some chat that maybe Greece or Egypt or maybe both are going to be involved in, in that. Maybe it'll just be Saudi Arabia on their own. But it's an un, uh, uh, unspoken secret that Saudi Arabia is going to bid for the 2030 World Cup. They have just two stadiums capable of hosting World Cup mm-hmm. matches at the, at the moment. So they would need to build a lot of the infrastructure from scratch despite being a country of 35 million people. So it's not quite a comparable situation to Qatar. This is a much larger country. But nonetheless, Qatar spent... $250 billion on hosting the, the 2022 World Cup. You're probably looking at a similar bill for Saudi Arabia. And so given Cristiano Ronaldo $200 million a, a year, um, maybe it, that's just a drop in the ocean for them. That's just, that's just part of the overall World Cup bid bill. My question is, how does Ronaldo's... Um, how, how does his status as an ambassador for this bid how does that help their their bid i mean in my uh, mind celebrity endorsement shouldn't really be part of, of world cup bids i mean why uh, should they is the fact that saudi arabia can pay messi ronaldo enough to be the faces of their bid proof that the country can successfully host a major sport event i mean what does that even prove but then my counterpoint to my own point salt is bay. that people shouldn't underestimate salt bay yeah uh, they shouldn't underestimate how much fifa executives love being tickled by famous people So maybe getting Messi and Ronaldo to shake hands and serve some drinks at an event, maybe that will be enough for Saudi Arabia to to get the the 2030 World Cup. It's one of those things that makes me think maybe I'm just not in that part of the world. I'm not Mm. part of that world, excuse me. And maybe this is money well well spent for Saudi Arabia. And maybe the FIFA executives do make decisions on things like who's shaking their hands. you, you, you all might need to clear out for a second because here we go. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I, I think for me, it's important to understand 
why Saudi Arabia is doing this, why they're pursuing sports washing, why they're trying to get involved in sports the way they are. And Graham, you hit it on a little bit. I think you both have hit on it a little bit. Uh, it's image restoration first and foremost. With Mohammed bin Salman, he went from there was this conversation about how he's a potential reformer, how he could be the voice of a younger generation and modernizing Saudi Arabia. And it went from that to journalist murder pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, we talked about the human rights violations, public executions. There are – and like even the the story of him imprisoning family members in a hotel for months uh, as a way to kind of uh, uh, like bring together his power. What's the word I'm looking – consolidate power. Consolidate. Like yeah, like th- there are so many nefarious things that moved him away from this like potential reformer, quote unquote, to the way we perceive the country now. On top of that – there is, I think, an acceptance that they're, they have to move away from petrochemicals. That connects to the Vision 2030 plan, I believe is what it's called. And there's a lot of public statement and uh, infrastructure development around uh, carbon capture and, and sort of like green energy. A lot, of, I think, of their plans from what I've read are sort of disputed, the efficacy thereof. But I think there is this big move towards we, we need to change the way people perceive this country and perceive the leader of the country. And so that's where the wall, the, the mirror city comes in, yeah. where you've got these futuristic uh, new cities and new developments coming online. Uh, there's a commitment to develop a space program in Saudi Arabia. It, it's all about changing the way people understand the country. And for the longest time, sponsorship has been a part of that. Like it's why you buy uh, PSG or Man City or Newcastle is because then you have them sponsored by Qatar Airways or Turkish Airlines or whatever it might be. Uh, the Turkish one doesn't really fit, but Qatar does or Emirates. Like you do that certainly so you can inflate sponsorship money and then buy more players, but also because then people see like, well, if Man City flies Emirates, wh- why not me? Or if Man City flies uh, like like. Uh, Saudi Air, what? Why not me? Like it makes it more acceptable because more people are using it. If if they use it, I could use it. And I think Messi and Ronaldo are chief among that. It's hard to like if Qatar had had Messi and Ronaldo in their prime, standing back to back, being like, "Visit Qatar, play soccer here." I think a lot of people are going to think, "Well, like if those two guys are going to do it, maybe maybe we shouldn't shouldn't care so much." So I think there is a very calculated move to get those two names on board. Messi against his own country's bid is pretty fascinating. Uh, and I guess Ronaldo against his own country's bid is pretty fascinating. Uh, so I, I think a lot of it has to do with changing that reputation and an awareness that sports speaks to many, many people, but certainly the younger generation. Uh, a good example of that, and this will be the last one of this monologue for me, uh, during the uh, the pandemic, they invested heavily into certain companies in the United States like Boeing, Disney, Facebook, but they also purchased ESL Gaming and Faceit, two of the largest esports brands for a reported value of $1.5 billion. Uh, and so esports, gaming, video games, uh, and then athletics, I think are all ways to show like, hey, we let, we encourage all these sports we love sport we love the youth i think again it's all about changing the brand of saudi arabia has anyone been through the list of investments that saudi arabia saudi arabia through their sovereign wealth fund so their sovereign wealth fund is worth 620 billion dollars it's the biggest sovereign wealth fund in the world and it's been used to obviously buy soccer clubs like Newcastle United, St. Cristiano Ronaldo. They've had big name boxing fights like Ante Joshua versus Usyk last year. They have Infantino a was there for that now. one. 
Mm-hmm. He was, yeah. yeah. And they also have their fingers in all sorts of pies and, and companies. They own a, a sizable chunk of Twitter now. This is a this is a short list of companies that Saudi Arabia have invested in. Amazon, Google, Visa, Microsoft, Disney, Nintendo, Uber, PayPal, Zoom, Facebook, Boeing, Marriott, Bank of America, Pfizer, Starbucks, IBM. That is just a selection of the companies that they have invested in. They yeah. have essentially invested in every major company in the world, and I think it's it's all due to this program of as you say normalizing their image. If you in, if you engage in society, well, guess what? In some way, you're engaging with Saudi Arabia. So it is almost to implicate all of us in a sense, yeah. so that they they become unavoidable. It doesn't matter if you're a sports fan, a music fan, if you use Twitter, if you have a computer. In some way, you are normalizing Saudi Arabia. That that's the plan essentially. Yeah, and and my I don't think this is my conspiracy brain. I think this is just part of the plan is to use some of that to then export Saudi culture, which is a thing that I think is part of that Vision 2030, is broaden people's understanding of what Saudi culture and entertainment and music and art might be. So through those platforms, you can do that so that, again, you make it more standardized. You make people more aware of what music from Saudi Arabia or film from Saudi Arabia looks like. I I think that is also part of the plan here and a really good example when it comes to investment that didn't end up happening because Elon Musk is Elon Musk, lest we forget they were about to buy Tesla. And if you are the country that is seen as the largest oil producer in the world somehow yeah. because it's actually yeah. the United States, um, like a way to sort of move away from that very visibly is to buy Tesla. And and I think if Elon Musk hadn't, what, tweeted the stock price, that deal would have gone through. <laughs> uh, and, and right there, you can kind of see the attempt to very publicly move away from one thing towards yep. another thing. Look how progressive we are. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's trying to diversify Saudi Arabia's yeah. portfolio. And, and yeah. Graham, you, you guys have both done a great job of outlining that. I don't really need to add anything else. Just know, I mean, we're talking about companies, we're talking about sports, we're talking about sporting events. They had a snooker tournament in Saudi Arabia recently. Um, I had not even really remembered what snooker was until Graham mentioned earlier this week, Tyler Adams snookerballing somebody else in, <laughs> in Leeds versus Newcastle, ironically enough. So there's the other Saudi tie-in. I mean, all sorts of events, WWE, all that stuff. The list is, is longer than I'm sure even what we've said on this show. Ronaldo is just another piece of the puzzle, right? It is, Taylor, you mentioned Vision 2030. It's about you know diversifying all of this stuff. Ronaldo was another piece of this puzzle. As I said, he is maybe not even the biggest piece. He's surely not the biggest piece of this puzzle, but he is the latest and uh, in some ways the most interesting piece of this puzzle in that, you know, it's a person, right? It's a person coming to Saudi Arabia to play soccer in in a way that is going to move the needle that Pizzi Martinez was never going to move, right? That all of these other players were never going to move. Now, I'm curious to see what the response is going to be. Like, like, what does this look like? Graham, you, you, Graham, you talked earlier about, you know, FIFA and, and whether or not Ronaldo and Messi will actually be enough to move the needle. I, I would wager yes. I would wager between that and a bunch of money, we will see another World Cup. Uh, we, will, we will see a World Cup in Saudi Arabia before too long, whether it's yeah. 2030 or not. Like, that stuff's going to happen. Yeah, I would agree with that. I have questions over whether that is a smart play for Saudi Arabia, though. I, I Look, I don't want to give them too much credit, that, that regime too much credit, but until now, I think they have been very smart with how they have used sport to, in a, in a sense, weaponize fans. I think when you buy a football club, you force supporters into a very, very difficult position where... 
fans are not going to abandon their team, they're going to support that team, all of a sudden then they're fans of Saudi Arabia by, by extension. I think buying soccer clubs is smart, a smart way for, for regimes to sports wash. I think buying players like Ronaldo, I can see the sense in that. But if you look at Qatar, I'm not entirely sure the 2022 World Cup in itself, in isolation, was a particularly effective sports washing exercise. I think it caused people to talk about the Qatar's human rights violations and their shortcomings mm. as a regime for years and years and end and will probably continue for a, for a little bit longer. I don't know I don't know whether Saudi Arabia needs that if they are if the, indeed it is going to follow a, a similar template to to Qatar's World Cup which it seems like it, it may well do. I don't know if this is a smart play from them yeah. in, in terms of the World Cup. Yeah, Graham, we we talked about this after, you know, more closely after the end of the World Cup. You know, was this a success for Qatar? Was this a successful sports washing endeavor? And I'm just not sure that we know the answer to that question. Like, I'm not, at least I'm not so sure the answer is no, because while people like us, and and again, folks that are listening to this show, and I'm sure their friends and all that stuff maybe are talking about it, there is a, a much bigger group of people, you know, 8 billion people on this planet, a lot more of them are paying attention to the World Cup, unfortunately, than we're listening to this show, although I hope that changes over time, right? I, I think there is a massive population of people that don't really fit into that calculation um, and, and maybe are outside of the folks that we usually think about that will have differing thoughts or will just not have thought about it, period. And those are the people that Qatar were counting on. Those are the people that Saudi Arabia are counting on to continue to, to build their, I guess, brand, for lack of a better term. Oh, it's a fun one, isn't it, gentlemen? It's a it's a it's a fun topic that doesn't at all make us feel like uh, they're t- they're taking the soul out of the sport. But it's a thing that's been happening for a while because sports washing. I read a really interesting piece on this. I, I feel like it's it's important to at least provide a little bit of balance, which is that sports washing becomes a term usually in relation to like authoritarian regimes trying to improve their brand, but. When we talk soft power, like sports are a part of soft power, and that's been the case for a really long time. Like you could argue the NFL in a certain way when you're trying to have these games around the world and it's this global brand, it is part of the United States' soft power. And so I I think it's certainly these countries are not the first to try to use sports as a way to improve their reputation and international prestige, but I think there's an element of how deliberate it is and how calculated it is that makes it just seem that little bit more you are trying to sell me something that feels like a false bill of goods and i think in the same way when you get that person knocking on your door and they've got the the slick smile and they're there to sell you this vacuum that you definitely need there's that instant like this feels wrong something's weird about this that's the vibe i get from this but I think I think the main and I agree with everything there. The the main difference is that you talk about the NFL being soft power for you mm-hmm. know America around the world. MLS franchises are not inherently linked to a political regime that can, for instance, True. set True. human rights for an entire country. Yeah. That is the difference with Saudi Arabia and um, you know Qatar and, and and so on. But you're right, sports washing. This term has been generally used more recently for country, regimes in the Gulf and so on. But Roman Abramovich, he he used Chelsea to sports wash his own reputation after as, as an oligarch and distancing himself from Putin, which is ironic because that is the thing that brought about his downfall as, as Chelsea owner. But going back decades, there's countless examples of sports washing in sport and in soccer. It just feels like the stakes have kind of been ra- raised quite significantly where you have entire countries now, now involved in it. 
Uh, I feel like we we've gone uh, long as I as I can without sort of just getting a headache and feeling sad. Uh, any other things that we should talk about when it comes to Ronaldo's move to Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia pursuing uh, like growing sport in the country. Other than that, Graham. I understand why Spain and Portugal have included Ukraine in this bid. I get that. Uh, but, like, if Morocco's already bidding, Morocco, Spain, Portugal as one, and you've got it across continents, you've got Africa, you, yeah, you've, like, it, why, why not? That's the perfect one. That's the best one. And you could open up and then you could travel between the three. Oh, man, that, that just seems too perfect. I want that to happen more than anything else. Yeah, I would be on board with that World Cup bid. I mean, I I understand the sentiment of Ukraine being involved mm-hmm. in a bid, but I'm not really sure they're prepared to host a World Cup at this particular uh, moment. It seems like there's maybe more on their plate right. to co- to consider than than hosting some soccer matches. But yeah, they're, they're, the the way that this tournament, the World Cup, has been expanded, I'm just I'm just having to accept there's going to be some weird bids mm-hmm. uh, from this point on. It, it's going to get a bit strange. Do we feel, I guess the last thing, just just gut feeling, I, I have felt, I think since the start of this last World Cup, that 2030 will be in Saudi Arabia. Yep. I'm sort of, I feel like that is a, if not a foregone conclusion, a thing that is just going to happen. They're going to spend, I think, $40 billion towards funding that bid, uh, towards infrastructure improvements and many other things. So it just seems like there's going to be so much money there. How publicly MBS and Gianni Infantino are together. If Gianni Infantino moves from Qatar, where he's been living, to Saudi Arabia, <laughs> do we just assume right there Saudi Arabia 2030 is happening? It's done. Pen to paper. That one's done. If Salt Bay is yeah, there too, I mean, we, we know. Yeah, there it is, Graham. Same page, baby. <laughs> but but sincerely, am I am I just being like my 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 downer self here when it comes to this? No, or, I mean. Um, we we have evidence, right? We have uh, a World Cup being played in a, in a relatively similar part mm-hmm. of the world. We have plenty of evidence that FIFA values money and investment into their pockets more than uh, really growing the game at this point. Not that this wouldn't do something to grow the game in a part of the world that absolutely would do that. But no, I mean, I, I think it's not outrageous to say that this is the direction that FIFA is trending. There, there will be a World Cup in Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. I'm just not convinced it'll be it'll be 2030, just because. Look, maybe I'm giving FIFA executives too much too much credit. You are, but the the last vote hurt FIFA. <laughs> I mean, I think that's like it brought down the whole organization, mm-hmm. and they changed the voting process, and it's no longer down to the executive committee. Now it's down to the Congress. So you're talking about 250 people that that now vote on the World Cup, and so I think they will. I think they'll do the cop out where 2030 will go to the centenario bids because it feels like that that's what what people want, and then I think 2034 will be sure. in some way manufactured so that Saudi Arabia get that one. That does make a lot of sense because then you could have Messi still sort of passively support the Argentina Centenario bid. And then, yeah, 2034 to Saudi Arabia, we shall go. Another Winter World Cup. Graham, you love this one so much. At least you get another one. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Shall we Shall we meet up in uh, in, in Riyadh, rent our, an apartment in Riyadh for that World Cup? And, and no, not, not no, thank you. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I wouldn't mind going to Saudi Arabia. I, I've long been fascinated by it uh, and their history and, and how it came to be. Uh, but no, nah, I, th- I think I'm okay. Not at I the think moment. I'm okay. Not so much. Not so much. Uh, but Joe, are you ready to, uh, to, to get your house purchased for you in Saudi Arabia and you can also be a brand ambassador? Yeah, yeah. Yes. That a boy, Joe. That a boy. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you so much uh, for talking all this out with me. I feel 
slightly more frustrated than I felt, but also more informed than I felt. And I think that's what we're aiming for with a topic like this. Uh, I do love the Big Thing episodes. I'm glad they're back. Joe Lowry, uh, in witness protection for people who can't, no one can see the screen, but Joe, always, always just a silhouette as we record these. Uh, the silhouette of Joe, thank you for joining us. And Joe himself, thank you for joining us. Yeah, we're still working on the voice modulator, but you know, once we get that going, I'll really be behind this witness protection wall. I'm not sure what I think about Saudi Arabia. Oh, that was good. That was really good. (laughs) Uh, Graham Ruffin, in his uh, fortress of pillows and sheets, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Taylor Rock. Well, I feel like I am I am overly lit, so maybe I am making up for the light that isn't in uh, in, in Joe's fort. This yeah, is stop this being so greedy. Of... Stop being so greedy yeah, with the light, of course, Yeah, when sorry, I, sorry, Joe. When I think yeah. Scotland, I think well lit and uh, lo- lots of light. <laughs> uh, listeners, thank you all for joining us this week. It's been wonderful. We'll talk to you again next week with some weekend reviews.